Hello and welcome to the Dooley UK podcast. My name is Leela Baker and today with me I have Yuval and Marie. Could you introduce yourselves please? Um, so I'm Yuval, uh, I'm a trans dad or a seahorse dad. Um, I gave birth to uh, all three of my kids. Um, <laughs> okay, thank you. And I'm Marie. I was Yuval's doula with his latest baby, who's actually also with us. Yeah. Six months old. On Friday, yeah. On Friday, yeah. Happy six month anniversary. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you for joining me. Um, so this this podcast that we, series that we do is predominantly for birth and parenting supporters. So the questions I'll be asking are to help us to understand how we can promote better support for all families, including trans families. Yeah. So firstly, can I please ask you about your pronouns? Uh, yes, I use male pronouns. Um, although I actually identify as non-binary, um, but yeah, male pronouns are important to me. Okay. So he? Yes. Okay. And why does it make a difference to you? Um, if the wrong pronouns are used, it just doesn't feel like I'm being addressed. Um, okay. And it feels that people are not seeing me, are not respecting me. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Can you tell us some more about how you started on your parenting journey? How long ago was it? So my eldest is going to be eight uh, in December. And actually, I probably started my parenting journey. It's a bit hard to say too early because I love my son and I wouldn't change it for anything that I have him. But knowing what I know today, I would have probably waited a bit longer before okay. I had him. Thing is, I, I always wanted kids. Um, and when I started transition, originally I thought I might have a child before I transitioned. Okay. But then I realized I wasn't stable enough. Um, mm -hmm. I knew I needed to transition basically to live. When you say stable, do you mean emotionally and mentally? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was um, like early 20 when I started to transition. And for a while, I thought I'd have a baby. Basically, what we were told back then, I started transitioning in 2008 was that after about a year on testosterone, um, you could forget about having biological kids because testosterone would um, ruin the female reproductive system. Okay. Um, and I didn't want to give up on having a baby. I knew there wasn't very many, like adoption or fostering were not options at the time in Israel for a gay couple, a gay couple or a single father. Um, so I knew that yeah, having my own baby was my best bet. Um, and my parents were quite in favor, actually, because they thought I'd realized that actually I wasn't trans and it was one for being a woman and I wouldn't transition if I had a baby. <laughs> yep. That was kind of my plan when I was 18. Um, but then when I was 19, I realized that I wasn't stable enough and I needed to transition to, I say, live. And it really bothered me the thought that I might not have a child, but on the other hand, um, I just felt that if I wouldn't transition, I wouldn't get to the point that I would be able to have kids, so I thought yep. I'd figure it out later on. And then, um, so, so I basically gave up 
before of having biological kids. And then um, about a year into my transition, I heard about Thomas Beattie, who was um, known to be the first pregnant man. Now, I actually know he wasn't the first. He was the first to get famous about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and in an interview, she said he was on testosterone for eight years. Okay. And I didn't know if that meant that he was kind of a one-off or, or that it meant that what I was told was completely not true, but it kind of gave me hope that that might not be. I mean, it wasn't 100% that they told me that I could completely yeah. forget about it, but I believed that there was a good chance that testosterone damaged um, that possibility. So I thought that the sooner I had a baby, my chances were, were higher that, that I would manage. So basically, after less than three years on testosterone, when I was already in a relationship, I started um, taking my time when I was about half a year into my transition. Okay. Um, so after, yeah, so when we were together for about two and a bit years, then I was a bit under three years since I started testosterone. So I stopped taking testosterone and we decided to give it a chance, give it a go. And I actually, I, um, my period returned after months and I had a chemical pregnancy after two months and after okay. I got pregnant with Larry. So uh, chemical pregnancy is where you test positive and then the, the, the pregnancy doesn't continue yeah. very early on in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and now, I mean, since then I've had of so many trans people that have had ba healthy pregnancies and babies after many years on testosterone and, and that, you know very few that have had any problems, probably about the same percentage as women that have problems getting pregnant, some people have problems getting pregnant. Yep. The recent evidence is that testosterone does not do any damage to the female reproductive system. So basically there was no need to hurry. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so, sad that you had to learn that the hard way, but it'll be useful for I mean, other people to know that now. Way, yeah. Lily, and I'm happy he's here, but on yeah. the other hand, I think, oh, I could have done a degree first. I could have yeah. Yeah. enjoyed my time with my partner more than yeah. he did. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, in, in a way, if, if I was back in the same place, then I wouldn't have had a baby so quickly, but I'm kind of glad I did. So yes. I guess it's complicated, like, yes. a lot of things like that. Yeah, I understand um, that. Yeah. And then with Aria, um, my second... Um, so we were still kind of thinking, okay, so obviously what I was told about one year is definitely not true, but we still don't know if it can cause damage or not. Um, the original plan was um, to have, I knew I wanted at least two. Um, so the original plan was not to go back on testosterone and to have them straight after another bit. Louis was born in quite a traumatic birth and I kind of felt I needed some time to, to recover from that and to get myself back and have, I don't know, I called it like sanity time on testosterone, but then I didn't want to wait too long, so then my plan was to wait a year to go back on testosterone for a year and then to stop again and have another, um, which is what I did. Okay. Um, um, yeah, so, and then I, again, stopped testosterone, period returned in a month, uh, had another chemical pregnancy, first month, second month I got pregnant with Aria. Um, and yeah, there's 25 months between them. 
And then for a while, I thought I'd probably finished having kids. <laughs> I really, really wanted that. <laughs> um, and we'd moved here. And I thought it'd be quite interesting having a third here. It's actually quite funny because, or well, not funny, but it, it, pregnancy and that is really, really medicalized in Israel. Okay. And I thought it'd be quite nice having a baby in a less, medicalized environment but yeah. then actually we found out we had i had some very rare antibodies um and it was kind of a high risk pregnancy. i had a miscarriage in, okay. in the middle and then um a very high risk pregnancy so they passed the middle of his pregnancy yeah. so it was kind of the most medicalized pregnancy <laughs> <laughs> bad luck yeah yeah <laughs> okay thank you and how did it feel when you were engaging with your healthcare professionals during your pregnancies, and if you could compare the the ha, the, the way that people interacted with you, both in Israel and and here, please. Yeah. Um, so in Israel, I had a friend that worked um, in a large hospital, and she kind of connected me to the right people who are really good and respectful uh, and discreet, which is a big issue in Israel. Yeah, and it was good for a few months until um, one day, uh, Louis. Uh, just started, he was a very active baby in my belly, and um, but then he decided not to move one day. So, uh, in retrospect, we should have um, gone um, to the regular hospital. But it was just like an hour drive away, and it was quite late at night. By the time you got kind of tidy to stop and all the things that you do, and yeah. so he decided to just pop to the hospital across the road. And actually, my um, after she called up and explained the situation, so they knew I was coming. So we went, everything was fine, we got home. And the day later, I got a phone call from um, a journalist from the biggest paper in Israel who knew um, all about my pregnancy. And we were trying to kind of talk to friends in the media to see if we could prevent it getting out. Um, and she obviously had that, that. And the next day, we woke up to like, a full spread in the biggest paper about my pregnancy and things taken completely out of context. And I know I, that story, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, a quote from a blog I wrote when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Trying to make out I hadn't seen like any health professional and up until that point. I got pregnant by accident. I mean it was it was really, really bad. Um so yeah, I mean I think that's kind of the worst um, experience I've had from health professionals who have actually um, broken the confidentiality. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think I kind of experienced up until that point quite a lot of difficulties in my pregnancy, but I wouldn't say they were necessarily trance. It was just like about wanting a home birth, which is kind of very unacceptable in Israel and not wanting to do kind of all the tests, like people do amnios kind of yep. pretty standard in Israel. Okay. And I basically said that I wasn't going, I was 23 at the time and I also knew I wouldn't abort most things that they were kind of looking for. Yeah. Um, and we had one doctor say to, well, one doctor said to me that she thinks I should do all the tests possible to prevent um, the possibility of having a different child because it was different enough as it is and we don't need um, like any more... <laughs> kind of things to deal with and I was like actually we're different so maybe we don't have an issue with differences 
Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry was, that you had to hear that. From <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of pretty standard approach in Israel, but it was kind of even more so in our case because we are different. Um, so, so there was that, but yeah, apart from that, there wasn't, I mean, it was more about standard things that kind of had difficulties, but then I did end up having Lily in hospital. I, I planned a home birth and that um, didn't work out because um, the birth started with my water breaking, they had a lot of meconium in, okay. and so I had to go to hospital. Well, back then I thought I had to go to hospital, today <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> you chose to go to hospital based on the advice given to you by the healthcare professionals. Yeah, and the one, I mean, I'd have had to free birth if I wouldn't have gone, because yeah. in Israel, like, if you don't meet the standards of home birth, a, a, a professional isn't allowed to, to be there for you. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I was definitely not ready to free back at that point. <laughs> um, so I went into hospital and apparently they did miss me. I don't really remember that because I was quite busy giving birth. Yep. <laughs> um, but there was kind of a lot of issues, I think, about me being trans. Like I was, I was hot, I was naked. I think they were quite embarrassed by that and I remember them kind of coming in with throwing sheets on me. So I wouldn't wear that hospital gown. Um, and they were kind of throwing sheets on me and I was taking the sheets off and they kind of kept... Um, and then there were things that weren't to do with me being trans, but I was quite um, loud and they kept kind of offering me to do what I didn't want. And then at one point somebody came in and kind of said completely over my head, um, why is... I don't know what pronouns you use, but why is he... Because that's what I'm comfortable yeah. with. Uh, why has she not got an epidural, which is kind of quite ridiculous. But that, again, is probably not to do with being trans. Um, and then the day after, there was, I think, a few things to do with me being trans, like um, be coming into my room, like some nurse or something, and she wanted to hear my whole life story, which usually I'm actually quite happy to tell, but kind of 12 hours after giving birth, it's not... No, like, no one wants to tell their life story at that point. You know, telling how my parents reacted when they heard I was trans. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, and then she insisted, this was the worst part, she insisted that now, she said, so now you're going to stay a woman. And I said, I'm not a woman, and I'm obviously not going to stay a woman because I'm not a woman. And she said, I think you're going to change your mind within six weeks. And I said, I'm really not. And then she kind of insisted, and I said, well, you know what? Well, that's have to see because I really couldn't be bothered. Yeah. You know, a few hours after giving birth. Yeah. Um, I am. Yeah, oh, I'm remembering a lot of things here. <laughs> there was a nurse that kind of came in like straight after, and she kind of was saying, "I want you to know that I'm completely okay with the situation. It's just all very weird." And then she kind of would explain. <laughs> then she kept saying every few minutes, I'm, "I'm completely okay with the situation." And when somebody said you know, like 15 times that they're okay with the situation, it makes you think that actually maybe they're not. Maybe right. they're trying to convince themselves they're okay <laughs> yeah. with the situation. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it could have probably been a bit of a better experience if I was trying to get back in hospital and then I was kind of visited there before and had a talk with them and kind of explained Prepared a lot of stuff and not mm. kind of just landed there. Um, Although, kind of, why should you have to? That's, you know. I, was with, I mean... <laughs> In an ideal world, you're, you're, you're perfectly right. I am aware of the fact I was We don't live in an ideal world, no. And we don't live in an ideal world. And I can get to the extent I was the first and some things people just don't know. And if I'd have got a chance to explain, it would probably be good. 
<laughs> and you'd yeah. said to me as well that you had problems getting onto the label board when you arrived at Washington in terms of bringing the buzzer and being told that you um, needed to wait. Mm, don't think so. Um, so yeah, there was also, um, I, I, I was supposed to do some blood tests that we were supposed to do within a few days. Yeah. I didn't get to do that, which I wasn't particularly bothered about, but my doctor was really bothered about. Um, that Because um, I kept calling and like they saw that I was registered as male, and then they were just thinking that, I don't know, I was joking or something, so they kept thinking. Yeah, there was there's some, some mix-up that you'd been yeah. accidentally sent for these pregnancy tests, these pregnancy-related yeah. tests. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So that was an issue. Um, and then here, actually, in the UK, I've had really positive experiences. Um, the first time I actually kind of got to interact with medical uh, stuff around my pregnancy was actually when I had the miscarriage. Um, and I didn't know I'd, I'd miscarried. I came in for, for a different test, and then we found out there was no heartbeat. Um, and they were really, really nice and sympathetic and respectful. And I, I think they kind of took me to a separate room and they said I could kind of wait there as long as I needed. And they brought me a cup of tea and they said um, that they wouldn't bother. And then they came back to me and they said they're really sorry to bother. But um, they just wanted to write like the release paper and they wanted to know what pronouns I, I use if I wanted he or they. And I almost fell off the chair. That they kind of even knew there was an option. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like in Israel, if they weren't referring to me as she, that was kind of amazing. And they yeah. were asking if I preferred he or they. So that was a really, really positive experience. Um, and then afterwards, they came to me and they said, like, could we do anything differently? Is there anything you'd like us to improve or to add? And I was like, no, everybody's been amazing. And then I said, like, am I the first trans person you've, like, trans pregnant person you've met? Because they were really so amazing. I thought, like, I'm sure I wasn't. And yeah. they actually said that I was. So wow. There's some really good training going yeah. on there. Um, and yeah, my, my experiences here have been mostly really positive. Mm -hmm. But I also had an independent midwife, which probably contributed to that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. couldn't like that before of um, not knowing who would be there at my birth. Yeah. So, That's how a lot of parents feel anyway. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure so. I, I think even if, if I wasn't trans, that would probably be an issue, but I think being trans, that's so much more of an issue. I mean, just the thought of kind of, yeah, talking pronouns while trying yeah. to give birth, and I do have very quick, intense <laughs> birth. Okay. Um, yeah, that wouldn't be a good plan. No. Um, so what, what do you think could have made the process easier for you, if anything? Well, having a doula, Marie, I mean, it did make things much easier. She did come with me to a few appointments where, I mean, I, I don't think you had to do much, but I would, I no. thought you might need to, and yeah. if you would have needed to, it would have definitely been really helpful to have you there. I mean, I think that, that's a lot of the job of a doula in going to appointments with any client is you're there in case you're needed, and, and if you're not needed, then that's even better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The same yeah. with birth, I really, as well. And I, I know kind of going to appointments without you either being like a com completely nervous yeah. and kind of I was less so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hand is a big part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people um find that 
just just having knowing that that person is there even in, if that person is there not even in in person that yeah. just knowing that that person you've talked it through with that person you've you've got that um that relationship and that rapport and the their confidence almost helps you to be confident sometimes yeah, yeah. um are you able to tell us about um any unhelpful behaviors that you've had from people around you Hmm. Nothing springs to mind at the moment. Did anything spring? Okay. Um, and what would you say to other families who might be in a similar situation? Um, take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> breathe. Always breathe. Yeah. Um, online support is a big thing. I mean, I think that I have a lot of friends and I talk to about a lot of things, um, like pregnancy related, mm -hmm. a lot of them assist women. And I mean, that kind of, it's helpful in many ways, but there's something about speaking to other trans guys who have been through it that kind of, that, that doesn't, yeah. that, that nothing can replace really. Yeah, it's a relatively unique experience. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that's changed yes. from, from your first year? Yeah, so, so it's really changed a lot in the last few years and I'm kind of quite amazed at how much and it's really, it's really, yeah, it's amazing and incredible because um, in my first pregnancy, so we're talking like eight and a half years ago, I looked online, like I, for anybody, one person in the world, one person yep. like, Done it before me, and I couldn't find anybody, and it was quite a lonely experience, really. And then, so there's 25 months between my first two, between Leary and Aria. Yeah. And by Aria's pregnancy, so we're talking six and a half years ago, there was already a Facebook group, but for birth trans, what's it called? Anyway, it's for trans people birthing and allies, and there was okay. a few hundred people in it. Now it's grown so much that there's um. A few thousand people in it, and there's so many allies that some trans people felt there were too many allies. And yeah. Um, like, outnumbered by the allies, yeah. A separate, people, a separate group called Our Allies. Yeah. That, that opened, I think, it already in Aria's pregnancy, with a few hundred people. And oh no, no. So that was between the pregnancies. Yeah. Um, and now there's so many groups. There's like even a group for trans people who planned a home birth and ended up with a cesarean. I mean, it's that yeah. kind of, and yeah. like, any, you know, um, a group for people who have had uh, losses. I mean, it's just kind of any group you can imagine that for trans and non-binary people birthing, which is great. It's great to hear. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Um, and now that your children have been born, can yeah. you tell us about any of the barriers that you've, you might still face or that you faced after having the babies? Yeah, so after having them, I think the biggest barrier was registering them. Okay. Um, and in Israel, it was much more complicated than here. Um, basically, so Lyria I had in hospital, and there you register your child in hospital, and we came to register him, and I'm not sure if the person that we kind of encountered was just really nice or not very bright or both, but she yeah. kind of reacted like there was no issue. I mean, first of all, kind of, I had a done surrogacy, which is, I don't know, like, okay. the time I had the surrogate, but I didn't kind of 
I mean, I was in hospital and I was wearing my pajamas. <laughs> I don't quite know how that. You're role playing somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she just registered him. And then there was a whole issue. Like we didn't get the birth certificate. We were supposed to get it in the, in the post in a few di- in a few weeks. And last a few months, it hadn't come. So we kind of tried to work that out. And um, they basically registered me. But it took another year and a half until we were both registered. Okay. Um, I was actually already pregnant with Aria by the time Lily was registered. They didn't know that, which was probably quite lucky. And mm-hmm. In the time, kind of, I had to go for kind of the interview, which was more of an investigation, and they kind of asked all kinds of inappropriate questions about uh, my transition and giving birth and all kinds of things. Um, and then basically, basically, they could probably be in the Guinness Book of Records as the person who changed their sex most times. But it's quite funny because they always blame trans people for wanting you know, to change their sex so many times. I didn't. I wanted to change it once. But yeah. basically, the solution to registering my kids was each time they changed it back to female, registered my child, and then changed it back to male. Right, okay. I've had like six um, sex changes. Um, Is that because their computers... Their computer yeah. system doesn't allow for exactly. a, a child to be registered as born to a man. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, basically, like, when I was born, I was assigned female, then I changed it to male, then when Louis was born, they took it back to female and back to male, and when Ari was born, they took it back to female again and then back to male. But Ari, the biggest make up your mind, they must be thinking, know. you know. <laughs> but I mean, it's, they need to make up their mind. My mind yes, is... That's right. I, I, yeah, yeah, you were very clear from the beginning, yes. Um, and the big issue was that they were threatening not to change it back to male at the end. Because, I mean, them changing it to female was kind of not ideal in my mind. It was kind of a compromise I was willing to live with. Because basically means that I'm registered um, as mother on the birth certificate, but kind of it doesn't affect my passport or anything like that. And they basically were threatening both times, really, to leave it as female, which was something I wasn't willing to happen. No, nor should I, you be. Subject. Yeah me to kind of a lot of problems you know in airports and you know look at me I have a beard and yep. you know, then it says female it's just, oh I, I don't have to go I don't want to go into my um past with everybody I might encounter yeah um and with Aria you had an even worse experience yes yes you. because they just wouldn't register her until they sorted it out and um, so they didn't register her for um Three months, so she basically just didn't exist. We couldn't get her a passport. Mm-hmm. We were to med, like medical insurance, which everybody yep. had as well as the register. So yep. we had to do like private medical insurance, and it was just really, really nerve wracking because we didn't know how long it'd take and how it'd be solved. And basically, they said to me, we, "We've done it once, but we're not willing to do it again." And we told you not to have any more kids. And I'm like, "You can't tell me how many kids to have." And they were like, "Okay, we've told you." And like, it was, it was yep. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then it got kind of with help of lawyers and uh, people in the media got sorted. And then we knew we definitely wouldn't have another child um, in Israel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In terms of, just going back to Harris, I mean, you were a couple of days postpartum. Yes. Standing in an office. Yes. With your newborn baby in your arms, literally being yelled at. Yes, but I'm not a man and I would be put back where I belong. And... <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, it was yeah. a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we don't mean to be triggering you here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, and I think, I think the, the difference, the main difference is that kind of we hit in some ways the same solution here, but the, the big difference was there kind of I was made to feel that I was not okay 
mm-hmm. um, and that they didn't want to help me sort it out. And here, I was made to feel that the computer system is not okay, and that yeah. everybody really wanted to sort it out. Yeah. So we kind of hit the same kind of thing here. We kind of we didn't know how it'd be registered, um, and if it could be registered, and then my midwife managed to get it registered to get Tegan registered within. I think it took her three days. Okay. Or was it 24 hours or three days? I don't remember, but kind of less than, much less than a week. And I didn't have to do anything, which is also a big difference that she, that she could deal with it to me and I yeah. didn't have to go and stand there with the newborn. Um, and everybody was kind of really nice and really respectful. And then, you know, nobody dreamt of saying I wasn't a man. It was just like, how can we sort the solution out? And in the end, the solution was kind of similar in the fact that I'm registered on the birth certificate as, Tegan's mother, but kind of nobody dreamt of leaving it, you know, of changing, you know, my and my passport to saying that I was the mother or wasn't a man or anything yep. like that. And they kind of really apologized that that's how it had to be done. And um, and actually, I did find quite a nice loophole as it does say um, the parents' uh, profession on the British birth certificate. Uh, and I'm a stay-at-home dad, so that so kind of I'm. I'm Dan is dad and best, but not in where I wanted to be, but that's a... Like, but you managed to get your actual title in there. Home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, their own dad. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, or um, full-time father, yeah. or something yeah. like that. And so, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy about that. And again, yeah. it's, it's less about the end solution about how people that were there. I mean, it still needs work. It definitely needs work. Enough. It's not ideal. It's not. Yeah. It's not good enough. It's not ideal. It needs to change. I hope it will. Yeah. But um, but as How things dealt with it was better. Yeah, having <laughs> dealt with it was better, and and I think I think also for a lot of trans people here, they find the current situation very difficult. And maybe if I didn't have the experience in Israel, I would. But kind of after the experience in Israel of yes, being yelled that that I'm not a man and that I'd be put back in my place, I kind of. It, it, it felt pretty reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> in comparison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, do you feel comfortable talking about feeding your baby? Uh, yeah, I can talk about feeding my baby. Thank you. Um, so with Lily, I didn't at all attempt chest feeding um, for two reasons. One was a technical reason, uh, which was uh, I had a complication with my uh, top set surgery and I lost the nipple and at the time I thought if I like I okay first of all I didn't think there would be any milk um after my surgery but then there was milk um and I thought if I chest feed I'd have kind of milk on both sides and there wouldn't be anywhere for the milk to come Come out out. and I'd end up in hospital again with them trying to get the milk out so I very quickly um dried the milk up Mm -hmm. so that was like the technical reason uh, which was valid, but also it would have been nice if somebody would have told me, like I did find out with my second um, pregnancy, that basically after a couple of days, my body would have realized that there was no way for the milk to come out from one side, it was just dried up. Um, but also I think I felt that my male identity, I mean, I think now I identify more so as non-binary, but then I definitely, I mean, non-binary wasn't so much of an option then. Mm-hmm. And, and if it, it was kind of, or, or, and if I had to be, or it was definitely um, male that I was comfortable with. And I felt that my male identity was already so challenged that kind of chest feeding would have 
was just a step too far. And if yeah. I would have attempted it, I'd have just kind of left. I'd have lost any claim to, I don't know, masculinity. I guess maybe it sounds stupid now, but that's really how I felt. That was kind of. It doesn't sound stupid. I couldn't jeopardize, I couldn't jeopardize my identity any more than I already had done with, with, um, with being pregnant, given birth. Yeah. So, so yes, I didn't at all attempt, um, attempt chest feeding. And I kind of want to kick myself thinking of expressing milk into the shower <laughs> instead of giving it to him. But yeah, he didn't get any, yeah. any of my milk. And then with Aria, also I knew already that, I, I mean, it didn't hit me by surprise. I also had a really, really good birth with her. So I kind of wasn't in total of kind of trauma and yeah. loss when she was born. And I was kind of a bit more calm and willing to explore new things. And also I knew that like one side would just dry up. And so I did attempt chest feeding her, but she couldn't chest, I mean, she, there wasn't much milk and she couldn't latch properly because I don't have breasts. And, uh, and it was really painful. Mm-hmm. And so it only kind of lasted a week, but I was really happy that she got the colostrum. And then with Tegan, kind of I had the same in mind. I knew I wouldn't chest feed for, for long. Uh, I knew there probably wouldn't be enough milk for chest feeding but I kind of already knew what I was going to do and I was more comfortable with it and I think like with Aria I did do it but I kind of didn't want anybody to see me doing it and any pictures of me chest feeding and with Tegan the, the like pictures of it and I, I really liked them I posted them on Facebook <laughs> and so yeah thank you um yeah so I, I, my other my follow-up question was going to be why why might trans men have be uncomfortable but you've already explained it with the with the term breastfeeding because yeah. you don't have breasts exactly. and and that that can add to the feeling of you know being emasculated or or you know and that's dysphoria i mean yeah breasts are something that a lot of us have gone to quite a lot of effort to get rid of yes so yes. <laughs> then to have that term kind of used with us yes yeah and i i know i know from from friends um who've gone through the process you know the the before or during the transition process the breasts feel you they a lot of them have expressed feeling discomfort just having them and okay. feeling like they need to hide them or or and all of that so yeah talking about you having breasts is you know it feels offensive to you because yeah. you don't and yeah yeah mm. and i think it's really clear to be important that that's not about replacing the term no, That's not at all. No, it's, it's, it's a different it's, term. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different it's term. And also yeah. as, as doulas who, you know, many of us provide breastfeeding support, as I do, we need different skills to provide yes. chestfeeding support than we do breastfeeding support. So just acknowledging that actually we might need to learn something as well in order to provide that support is quite important. I mean, just having this conversation already has highlighted to me a whole load of things that I didn't know that I had either made assumptions about or or just didn't know that I didn't know um, because yeah. it had never come up before. Um, so yeah, I'm you know I'm really grateful even just for my personal gain from this conversation. Okay, <laughs> um, Marie, is there anything you would like to add about how you provided support to this family? Um, I would just say that as, as a doula or any kind of birth worker, we, we are there to provide support to 
all kinds of families in all kinds of situations. And that includes working with single clients, it work, includes working with heterosexual couples, it includes working with people who are having the first baby or the tenth baby, it includes working with lesbian couples, and it includes working with pregnant, non-binary and trans men who are having babies. And it also includes the, the things that were challenging for me in this pregnant, in, in supporting this family in, in the two pregnancies that I was around for were actually really learning more about all the medical things to do with the rare antibody situation, <laughs> yep. far more than they were to do with the fact that my client was a trans man. Um, we can always learn more as doulas, but it's really important that we provide respectful care mm. to everybody in every circumstance that we come across. Yep. Thank you. Is there anything else anyone would like to add? Yeah, I think another thing that would really, really helpful with you, I mean, you have a lot of resources that I don't have, like getting me in touch with the right midwife for me, that I didn't yeah. have to kind of go looking on my own and yeah. maybe interview midwives that would have been completely wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I know all the independent midwives locally and knew which ones were likely to be trans-friendly, gay-friendly. Yeah. Which is the same stuff that I would know for any other client, which yeah. midwives likely to be home birth friendly, which is <laughs> likely to be comfortable with this medical situation. Right. It's just using those skills that we use for all times. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but that was a big task. Yeah. And of course you're being at the birth was very lovely. And yeah. I'm very glad to keep in touch with people Yes, that's been helpful. <laughs> thank you very much. It's been lovely to talk to you both. Um, and thank you for listening. You're very welcome. Thank, thank you. Leela. Thank you.